0: So they worked their way up, you know, like first first of all being merchants with on push carts and then stores and then finally my my father opened a factory and had a a business of men's clothing. So I grew up in, you know, fairly like sort of middle middle class, you know, with never never wanting anything. Um and, you know, my family, although, like my father, although, um, you know, he made it and that's what you were supposed to do. You came to America and you <clears throat> you made a better life for your family. Um, there's still all the, you know, dislocations and, um, And then what do you do with your kids who are growing up, you know, different (laughs) in a different world and so on. So I, my, I was, um, the expectations my, my, my family, my, my parents had of me that, uh, uh, I would, you know, Maybe at the age, I would go to high school, and then at the age, you know, after that I would get married and have kids, and that was the expected thing. <clears throat> and it's true that most of the girls I went to high school with did get married right away. And also I grew up in Utrema, which was then like a, a Jewish enclave, you know, especially like uh, Jews that came from the same area as my parents um, including uh, William Shatner's parents. Uh, they came from Romania, which is, uh, and now it's part of the Ukraine. You know, so. but, but, you know, as Jews, they had no attachment to, they didn't feel they were Romanian, you know, they were Jews, like, and they grew up in a kind of ghetto. So I was in conflict early on with, with my parents, for, you know, because they wanted things for me that I didn't want. Um, for my 16th birthday they were when I was they were already worried about me not you know not being interested enough in boys <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> so they um, they made a surprise party for me my <laughs> and and they got me a date and the boy that was my date was was showed clear signs of being gay but not that anyone would not maybe probably he didn't even know that um and and the terrible thing was that I found out about it before so I had to pretend I didn't know and then pretend to be surprised yeah so um you know and then the you know, there was that kind of conflict between, like, I was the sort of bad girl. I wasn't doing what I was supposed to. But and, um, but I knew that, you know, I didn't want what they wanted for me. But at the same time, it was, you know, it had its toll on me because I, I was depressed. I was, um, it wasn't easy for me because I felt, like, I felt very alone. I didn't know anyone who thought the way I did. Except when I read books, reading was a, a wonderful uh, way to, you know, to verify my life because oh, people think like I do. Wow. <laughs> but you know, but uh, but you know, to live in a family and be so at odds and feel people are angry with you and people have expectations of you that you're not meeting and you don't want to meet them, uh, you know, so. Well, I was born in 1934, so you know it's the 40s, 50s, um, and also I, I always, like I had, um, you know, the great. I, I, loved history. I loved reading about history, and I, lo- and I also. Um, it was very important to me to know what was going on in the world. So I was always like, I read newspapers or watch the news. And there that was no Facebook then, but, um, or read articles. Um, and uh, my Jewishness, um, it it was about, you know, I, admiring, like like, Rosa Luxemburg and Emma Goldman and, you know, all the the heroes, the the people who fought for justice. Mm. And, uh, like, I felt that, you know, early on. And I also, I felt like what happened in the world had something to do with my life. And I grew up during the war, too. So, like, I have memories of my father listening to Hitler on the radio and um, ranting about Jews. So, like, I always felt like that what was happening, you know, in history, what was happening in, like, was not just a background to my life, but really part of my life, and and had its effects on me, and um, I did get married at 28, like, years after I was supposed to, and had two kids, and actually, um, I was sort of like an activist in waiting, because I... Like when the when the Vietnam War was on, like, and then I, I started getting involved with. We were a group of people. We helped um, um, draft evaders coming from the states, coming o- come over from the border. Also, like the feminist movement started, mm-hmm. and um, I belonged to a, a collective. Uh, we were women. We were I forget what we called them. Consciousness raising groups, women's groups. So this is like you know in the sixties and seventies um you know, looking back on it now and and the way i my political ideas like the it was very much um, about you know white women like not not getting their share of and not getting the privileges and mm-hmm. the things that men got. So like it wasn't it wasn't the kind of analysis we use today where we see all oppression sort of connected and um especially, you know, as we as white people a sense of the kinds of privileges we have and the kinds of um ways, you know, we're heard more um you know racism wasn't wasn't part of it an analysis of racism and certainly not any analysis of indigenous whose lands we were on you know it, you can say like that there's been a lot of progress in that in that way that you know people are much more conscious of all those things, and the relationship between capitalism and -hmm. Racism and poverty and Mm -hmm. all that. Um, So, yeah, so the Vietnam War, that was kind of my first, um, and feminism, my first, you know, ways of trying to be political and, you know, put my, the way I lived Mm -hmm. in sync with my politics. Mm -hmm. Actually, the women's movement came to Canada through the the, the women who were partners of the draft evaders, of, of uh, evaders of the, mm-hmm. of the Vietnam War, who came to Canada, and the women sort of brought, at least in Montreal, that was true. Mm-hmm. They were evading the draft, and Trudeau, pair was, you know, was sympathetic and let them in. Yeah, we just went to the border and welcomed these uh-huh. draft evaders in. And, to Canada you know and help them help them find places to live and mm-hmm. yeah and actually a lot of them taught at uh, Loyola, which was separate from Concordia then mm-hmm. and they uh, actually there there was a racist incident <coughs> against uh, one of the professors who was a, a black guy or I think and anyway uh, these American guys got, um, you know, they they stopped the university. They brought it down with demonstrations and everything. (laughs) I don't remember the exact details, but there was it was an issue of racism towards a professor there, and um, so they uh, these guys they organized, uh, you know, a, a strike really, like with classes stopped and brought brought the. Loyola University to a standstill. <laughs> okay. I was living in uh, NDG, um, and uh, and my kids grew up there. I I went to McGill for a year, but I didn't. I just. I didn't really take. I I went to classes. I wanted to audit, you know, rather. And then I went to uh, Rhode Island School of Design, study art. It was it was very hard to get my parents' permission, but finally, I did. I think I had a um, an aunt, my father's sister, who, um, she. I think we had a kin- we had some sort of kinship because she <coughs> she, she was a socialist. She had a, a little salon of you know socialists because there was a lot of and anarchists and communist Jews then, and you know the, uh, leading strikes and so on, um, and uh, you know participating in. in Ways of getting justice for working-class people. So there was, there was that kind of Jewish community. Yeah, she was a socialist. She was a vegetarian. She got married. She got divorced. This is the early part of the 20th century, and she wrote a novel about life in what they called the old country, where they came from. And she became schizophrenic. And I'm sure it's with all the weight of, you know, being so different in the family. And uh, so she was institutionalized in the Douglas Hospital. And she was there over 50 years because I, I at that time uh, they didn't have, you know, medications. If it had been in a later period they would have released her and put her on meds. But, um, And I think... Um, I think my f I think she saved me in a way because I think my father worried that if he you know took up this oppositional um stance against me, you know i mean he did he did in some ways, but um he was worried that I might turn out you know the same thing might happen to me. So, I think, in a way, I think she was my savior in a way and of course, it was a I lived in a different time you know a much more open society had a lot more freedom um and by the way, they told- when they institutionalized her, they told us she had died as children because it was such a shameful thing at that time, and uh when we were adults, one of my uncles told us, so I used to go visit her, and she was like this. <clears throat> she was the most you know intelligent, knowledgeable person in the whole family. you know, and she really she knew what was going on in the world, and she read and everything. And I, I actually didn't believe she was sick, but once I went to visit her <clears throat> and she was in the bathroom. And I could hear her talking to her devils, like cursing the devils that tormented her. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And she died in her late nineties. Cool. So yeah, my family, my father's my father died at 99. Mm-hmm. So like I grew up, yeah, in, in Utrema, which was considered very wealthy francophones and mostly Jews because there were the two school systems you know, the Catholic and the Protestant if you weren't Catholic you went to the Protestant so my whole school was Jewish 99% Jewish in the Protestant school but the thing is we and we had no contact with, you know, the two communities except, you know, when I think the boys fought used to fight like it was an an antagonistic um Mm -hmm. Relationship, but but we're totally, totally alienated from, you know, no contact at all with francophones. Well, you know, there with the British North America when the British took over France and the French colonies here, the they gave a stipulation to the Catholics could have their own education system, and so. If you weren't Catholic, you went to the Protestant school board. Well, you could be Muslim or Jewish or anything, but you you went to the Protestant school board, yes, and were taught in English mm. and taught French very badly by, because at that time, uh, a woman who was who, a te- a woman t- who taught in the Protestant school board um, couldn't be married. So a lot of our teachers were women who, you know, there was nothing else they could do. They never married, they <clears throat> and they didn't necessarily <laughs> like kids. So we were badly taught French. We never used French. We, we had no contact at all with, with, the, you know, with French communities. And the city at that time was very, you know, divided. So Uttermann was, you know, wealthy Francophones, like Trudeau's family lived there. And Jews in um you know, in the east end, it was largely working class francophones. Mm-hmm. I never went east of Saint Laurent. I never spoke to a francophone until I was an adult. I never knew one. Uh, Verdun was like working class, Irish, Scottish, you know, immigrants. So the city was all like all these different enclaves. There was a a small black community in you know in Little Burgundy. So it, it, like it's the Montreal that is now is like you know completely completely changed. Yeah, I mean yeah, there weren't walls, but you know it's just that's where people feel if, if you were Jewish, you. This area, if you were an immigrant from Scotland or Ireland, you, you lived in Verdun. After I finished at Rhode Island School of Design, I was there three years. Then I I studied at McDonald College. Um, this is like really a silly, these silly courses, you know, like the philosophy of education. <laughs> the, the history of it, you know, was like, it was Mickey Mouse. <clears throat> but, then, and then I taught. Um, and, my, and I first taught in Verdun, the Protestant school board in Verdun. And that was the first time they had seen a Jew, or had any contact with a Jew. I mean, this is what the city was like then. And they weren't sure what to do with me. <laughs> well, I, I one of the issues was uh, in like in all these schools, you said the Lord's Prayer. You know, the whole class stood up and said the Lord's Prayer, and they wondered like if I could do it, and <laughs> or they, would I want a substitute teacher? You know, it's just that I, I was like, a, you know. So it's something they've never, never had contact with, no you? And then I taught two years, I taught art, and I, I taught two more years in, um, the Protestant school, Montreal High School, you know, that's on University. And at that time, yes, in both at that time, in all the schools, <clears throat> boys and girls classes were separate. We grew, we weren't allowed to wear shorts on the street when I was growing up. <laughs> the '60s, uh, it it just blew me away because, like, suddenly everybody was like me, you know? Like, <laughs> it was such a sea change. And the '50s was such a an era of conformity and and um, and the, you know, the the like very sexist kind of delineation of women, women and men's roles. Like, I just I remember there was an article in Life Magazine. Johnny can't read because his father does the dishes. You know, this it was that was the fifties. The fifties was grotesque. So when the sixties came along, I just couldn't believe. Like suddenly, you know, wow, <laughs> no, it's just there was something happening everywhere. And it was, like you know, in the state against the Vietnam War, it was like, you know, sex and drugs and but but also good, you know, polit- real criticism of society and and um, you know and and uh, fighting against the Vietnam War mm-hmm. and. Like I remember once you know there there was this the democratic uh convention uh in nineteen sixty eight um there were there were riots outside the not riots but people demonstrating the cops rioted and they were like beating up people and and um they were ferocious you know um and uh I was watching our television and, and they were the, the they were chanting, The whole world is watching, the whole world is watching. And it's true, like I was watching. Yeah, like the sixties was just a revolution it was amazing. <laughs> you know, the criticism of the Vietnam War, maybe a few people were make were Drawing relationship between racism and racism in the states, and um, but not men, you know. It was sort of centered on that, like against the war, you know, which was horrible, and you you know the history of it, eh? Like the French lost Vietnam, so the Americans went in, and they you know killed, so many people killed, and they dropped or Agent Orange, and you know. And, pe- and there's still you know kids being born with you know yeah. terrible yeah. yeah monstrosities and that time it was very important it was very uh, you know inspiring and everything but it wasn't <clears throat> I still think like we're further ahead today and you know how we analyze things and where yeah. we put we put it all together, and we see things globally. Mm. But I, I, I think it's only, say, in the last twenty years, um, that I really feel um, that I'm, you know, an activist and, you know, doing meaningful things. Um, and I, and I, I, largely, it's, you know, because the anarchist movements here the young people who are like so inspiring um i now it's more than ever i feel like i belong like i'm in a community you know that that uh is trying to do something to change things and um, and the, 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 the like anarchists like present-day anarchists weren't were we are not really around until about twenty, twenty-five years ago, and, um, so I think, like I gradually became just became more and more of an activist, and you know, I, I was able to because what other people were doing and how inspiring, you know, it, you know, especially uh, especially inspired by young people and. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I feel at home in a way, like, you know, um, and, you know, my involvement with Tadama and for Palestine has been important to me. Um, Just working with people, you know, working on issues and feeling, I mean, you know, there's a lot to despair of, and I often do despair about this insane world. But mm-hmm. then, you know, the the other part is you know just like uh, keeping, you know, not giving up, mm-hmm. keeping trying to do whatever one can.
1: Mm-hmm. You were teaching at
0: uh, at Verdun, then after that you went to teaching. Montreal High for two Montreal years. High for yeah. Two years, then. Then, then I um, my then husband and I we thought we'd like to live in England and see what that was like and my son was born there and we stayed six months and we left because we couldn't stand it I mean it was hard to live just economically um, and it's just like really really awful racism all around and we just I don't know why we thought we thought socialist England, you know, mm. but so we came back after six months, and um, I spent a couple of years. I like, I don't know how long. I like got home, you know, with my kids, um, and um, then I got a. Um, I got a job at, you know, teaching part time at Concordia, and for a while I was teaching part time at Concordia and part time at Dawson, and um, finally that was the beginning of, of uh, you know, universities um, downsizing and reducing salaries and mm-hmm. just hiring people part time. Well, I was let go at Concordia, and then I taught full-time at Dawson, which I much preferred than teaching in a university. And and I really, I loved teaching. I really, uh, I just, you know, I loved it, really. <laughs> I was teaching, you know, art in like general. I was teaching printmaking. Yeah drawing. Yes, I was in those years. I started doing printmaking like etching and photo etching and um, yeah, so I, yes, in those years too I started to do and eventually I got my own press and uh, um, and I did a lot of like feminist stuff no, like I, I the theme of uh, Eve, Eve, the new Eve in <laughs> <and> gardens <laughs> they're very romantic and <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um and at the time uh you know there were there were people coming from Guatemala because there because uh, there was a genocide going on and after um you know several years of doing prints i decided um i decided to like like re- do real political work that would talk about you know and the the genocide going on in Guatemala was um most people didn't know about it you know um and it was horrible and it was um it was against the indigenous of Guatemala, because actually um, I don't know what the percentage is, but a good percentage of the people who live there are are indigenous and um like in Chile years later they there was a a moderate government that wanted to nationalize some things and um the united F- fruit company you know john foster Dulles was he was the foreign minister I of uh, in the united states I, forget, I don't know what they call it but anyway and his brother was head of um you know chiquita banana like they had huge land holdings there yeah. so and the new president was going to nationalize it. and in 1954 they brought him down the Americans, CIA, and and in, and and then there was a succession of like you know vicious dictators mm-hmm. who um, murdered, disappeared, you know. And there were, you know I, I was part of a of a support um Guatemalan group that was partly refugees from there. Um, this is in the eighties, and though so I decided I wanted to like use. My work to tell people what was going on in Guatemala, and I, it was a big multimedia installation. Uh, you can see pictures of it on, on my Facebook, mm-hmm. on my uh, website. website. Yeah, and I also I I didn't want it to be just something that happened in a gallery, so I worked with, um, you know, support groups. Uh, um, we brought speakers, we brought uh, Rigoberta Menchu here who is a Nobel Peace Prize you know about her we brought her to speak, we brought Frank LaRue who was a lawyer then uh, um, we had fundraising concerts you know just so like there were all these things in addition to the show there were all these things outside so like it spread it from the gallery you know into the larger society and that show went to, I don't know, about 13, 14 artist run centers across Canada, because they're, now they're more professionalized, but at the time they liked work like that. Some of them still do. So, and everywhere it went, there were, you know, outside events or, you know, that, to bring more people in. And, and then after that, I did, um, I mean, one of the Feelings I had about the Guatemala show, it's called The Road of War, was that it would would be easy for people to think of these people as far away and they're very exotic with the beautiful clothing and everything. And so I decided to do something that would sort of place us in relation to the rest of the world, the the third world, we used to call it then. Mm -hmm. And so it was about food. It's called the Global Menu, and how um, the the people and the indigenous in the third world all over the world you know produce our food um, and they're starving he, um, and uh, I went to the Philippines and did some research so the show was yeah an attempt to show how we're you know we're Part of that whole pattern of mm. dispossession of people's lands and mm. um, monocultures and pesticides and how we're complicit in this repression. Mm-hmm. So that like the show had like different sites. There was a, there was Chile. There was uh, the Philippines. Um, there was like a Canadian dining room. There was um, a Canadian supermarket and that that and for that show too uh, it went to not as many places but um quite a few to ace Space and mm-hmm. um um like in Montreal we had like um McGill then was uh taking people on supermarket tours, so you know that we f- that was fitted in and there was like Um, anti-poverty groups and again so we had all these other activities Mm -hmm. and concerts and fundraising Alanis sang for you know in a concert in the 90s I I I just I wanted to do um I was starting to fall in love with Walter Benjamin (laughs) and I decided to do work about him about about his ideas and his life (coughs) But also, it start, it's like there were five different installations. And one was called Cassandra, an opera in four acts. And um, my video, you know, my video that was with my brother and I, that was part of it. And Cassandra, because, um, you know, if she's the, she's the one that sees all these, the dangers and wants to warn people. You know, the myth of Cassandra? But she's not listened to, so... that she's a daughter of the king of Troy, you know, in the Trojan Wars, and um, I guess the Greeks, was it, right? That um, brought this, the Trojan horse into, oh, into the... you know, as a gift. And she knew that there was, it was full of soldiers, and she tried to warn them. <coughs> and, they, and, and her father... Uh, said, you know, shut up. But actually, actually, it starts before because, um, um, who's the Greek God, the beautiful Greek God? He falls in love with Cassandra. And, uh, she doesn't want him. So he says, okay, you will see the truth, but no one will believe you. (laughs) And And the rest of the four others were about his work, um, you know, this this was an actual object, you know, a real object in, that I made. <laughs> if there, if there was there was an actual old TV set. I used a lot of old radios and because he talked a lot about new technologies and how they change us, but we don't realize how much they change us until later. And that was um, like parts of it showed a different. Installations showed at different galleries, um, and in Canada, and then in, in um, where was it in Cambridge, Ontario? I, I had the whole show together, all all, all parts of it. So, um, and that that's sort of like um, the last. The last time I really showed anything, I, I sort of came to think, ah, I want to get out of the art business. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to be a professional artist. I want, I want to be a, an activist artist and just have all my, my like, s- place my work in, a, in the sphere of activism. And so that was, you know, like the late, late 90s and, So, since then, I do that, I... (laughs) I do prints, I do street posters, I've been wheat pasting. I keep working in different ways in art um, just made these new pop-ups um, I like living in St. R.E. like it's a nice community and there's lots of young yeah. activists and uh, and also the there's Popir, which you know is a community organization that works on housing issues and uh, housing for low-income people and mm-hmm against gentrification and they um put it three times a year they put out a little newspaper and i do a column for it called people's history of montreal and um and then this summer i've been wheat pasting them around like enlarging them and wheat pasting them which is uh, something i always wanted to do <laughs> <So>. <laughs>